This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome. You're lucky that you can't catch germs through a podcast because I am very sick. And it's funny because today's episode is with Dr. Beach Gem, and she is a pediatrician, and we talk all about fevers and coughing and colds. So this is kind of funny. It's like a big coincidence, isn't it? She is a mom of four young children, and she had her children throughout her training to become a pediatrician, which blows my mind. She has over 600,000 followers on TikTok. She is like TikTok's favorite doctor. If you're not already following her on TikTok, you must. It is at beachgem10. She is also on Instagram at dr well, dr.beachgem10. And like most of my episodes, I really used this episode to ask her things that bothered me. For example, why is there no effective cough syrup for young children? It drives me nuts. Like when I have a bad cough, there's all kinds of medication that I can take to kind of suppress the cough. But with kids, there's nothing. It's like, Oh, give them a teaspoon of honey. You know what I mean? So anyways, I asked her about that. We also talked about, do you remember when I made that TikTok where I stitched the doctor that was talking about lavender essential oil? Oh my God. So I asked her about that. Like I interviewed her right around the time that I made that TikTok and it was bothering me. So I was like, oh, I'm going to ask her about that. So we talk about that. We talk about fevers, when to treat a fever because there's always back and forth like differing opinions about like, do you try and get rid of a fever? Do you leave it? When should you like seek medical attention? So we have just a ton of valuable information in this episode. And I feel like it is a great time to put it out because everyone I know is getting sick. So here you are. If you're you know, anticipating your kids coming home sick soon, um, which is always the case with me. I feel like I'm just waiting for Milo to get this cold. Or if you are currently home right now sick with your children, you know, take some notes. So without further ado, let's get this episode out into the universe and please welcome Dr. Beach Gem to the Mom Room Podcast. Today I am talking with TikTok's favorite pediatric emergency medicine doctor, Dr. Beach. So to start, I thought you could tell us about yourself, your training, why you got into pediatric medicine, and then I'll ask you about TikTok after. I think first and foremost, I'm a mom with four kids and I had my kids all throughout training. So they're all the way from four years old, all the way up to 12. And I think that's honestly what gives me some of the most clout on TikTok. Maybe not even the doctor, but just having a bunch of kids trying to manage them. I always wanted to be a doctor. And so I did my four years of college and I did four years of medical school. I always knew I wanted to work with kids, and I just wasn't exactly sure with what capacity. So I did a pediatric residency and fell in love with emergency medicine. So I did another three-year fellowship after my pediatric residency in pediatric emergency medicine, and I've been graduated for about five and a half, almost six years. Um, I've been practicing, love my job, love the people that I work with, love my patients, love being able to interact with parents and families. And I say a majority of my job is honestly providing reassurance. So just kind of talking to them about, you know, you're doing a great job. Your kid looks great. These are the things to look out for at home. And when we're not busy, it's really good to just be able to sit down and hang out and chat. I have to ask you because my husband is a urologist. 
So it's busy. He's on call a lot. So how do you balance having four kids at home and then what must be a wild schedule? It is quite wild. I think the good part about emergency medicine is that I'm not on call, that I don't have to have my phone on me at all times. The only thing I'm technically on call for is a mass casualty disaster. And obviously pretty much everyone in the hospital is is on call for that. So I don't have to take call. When I'm home, I am home with the kids. I do have some scattered meetings, but I'm home. I do work nights and so sometimes I'm sleeping, but the good part about it is I can my schedule is somewhat fixed in that respect. I don't have to just pick up and leave all of a sudden. We know what's going to happen for the week. Yeah, it's easier to plan around a fixed schedule. Does your schedule change like week to week or is it consistent? It is very variable. It's completely random. I might work two days, have two days off, work four nights, have another couple days off, work some mid-shift and then have a week off. It's completely random. There's no anything to it. It's just, there it is. How did your day-to-day job, like how was it affected by the pandemic? So it was actually really interesting because while the adult populations saw, you know, mass influx of patients and the ICUs were overloaded for the first, you know, year or so of the pandemic, kids were very minimally affected. So my hospital saw drastic declines in the patients that we were seeing. The volumes in the ER dropped by 75%. So we well, there were some job security concerns in pediatric emergency medicine for a while. But then we've started to, we picked back up pretty significantly in the spring of 2021 with RSV. And then we had the Delta surge and it's, it's kind of kept up since then. So it, it hasn't affected us as much as the adult populations, luckily, I guess. Okay. I have a random question that I just thought of. So I grew up in a city, like a smaller city in Northern Ontario. There was no specific pediatric medical care. And then I did my grad school in Ottawa, which has a whole pediatric hospital, like the children's hospital. Like when I was sick as a child, it was like you go to a walk-in clinic. You don't go to the emergency room. Do you think when a city, this is so random, when a city has a specific hospital for children or like a pediatric center, do you think parents tend to bring their children into the ER when it's not necessary as opposed to like a walk-in clinic or a family physician? That's interesting. And I think it's really all about what your resources are in your community. And every community is going to have different resources. My community has, you know, a large pediatric emergency center. So that care is accessible. And some places the care is not accessible. So they have to use what they have available. And that might be a walk-in clinic. It might be their primary care doctor who might not be a pediatrician. It might be a family med doc or an internal med doc that doesn't have a lot of training in kids. So I do think that it is good to be in communities that we have this care. Obviously, Canada is a little different from the United States. Most of the time, we are a referral center for a large catchment area. So when I was in New York, in Buffalo, doing my fellowship, we were taking patients from, you know, way out in mid mid New York, bringing them out to western New York. We were taking kids from Pennsylvania. We were bringing kids in from Canada that needed that pediatric specialty care for some reason. So a lot of times, there's large areas that are being referred to the pediatric facilities for all kinds of conditions. But then we also have, you know, little Johnny coming in for his runny nose too. And that's very reasonable if that's the the access you have in your community. I used to work at the children's hospital just in research. And I always wondered if, because it's available, if people are like, no, I want to go because I'm a parent now and I can see the appeal of, no, I'm going to go where these people specialize in children, even if he does have something that's very common. So because you work in that area, I was curious what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that we ex- we expect parents to determine if their child is having an urgent problem or an emergent problem. And you don't get that training as a parent to know if is this actually an emergency or is this something that can be seen tomorrow. And I think as medical professionals that we need to have a little bit more grace with families to say like, they actually don't know if it's an emergency. And so if somebody comes in and it's not a big deal, like... It doesn't matter. Like, we'll see you. We'll chat with you. I'll do my best to reassure you. And if it's an actual emergency, then I'm glad you brought your kid in so we can get this taken care of. Yeah, totally. Okay, I love that answer. Okay, so let's get into how you started TikTok. (laughs) When did that start? And I, I have a feeling... 
It's probably when all of us started. But when did it pick up? Was there a certain TikTok that went viral and you were like, okay, I have to keep doing this? I started in like, I don't know, maybe June of 2020 with the pandemic. I was bored. Everyone was bored. I wasn't doing anything at work. They were cutting shifts. So um, I started making some TikToks, you know, enjoying the TikTok content that's out there. And then, you know, the videos start coming across that are just blatant misinformation that people just not understanding the science or the, the virus itself. This is before even the vaccine was available. And so I started making some videos trying to correct that information and talking about some of the new research that was coming out there. So my, my first video that went kind of viral or got kind of big was a video about aspirin. And I kind of unknowingly made a little hook in the beginning. I said something like, did we just figure out COVID? And then I started talking about how aspirin helps with these little blood clots with COVID. So that was my first jumping point. I think I went from around 10,000 to 100,000 virtually overnight. It's funny the way that TikTok works. I'll be stuck at uh, following for a while and then all of a sudden I'll jump up, you know, a big jump in in followers, either from a video or just for no reason at all, just because TikTok. So <laughs> I know it makes no sense. Yesterday, I'm curious to get your opinion on this and maybe we will disagree. I don't know. I saw a TikTok from a doctor. I don't know what kind of doctor he is, but his name on TikTok was like doctor something. And he started the video by saying, do not use lavender and tea tree oil on your young boys because there's this clinical study in 2007 that showed blah, 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 blah. And he goes on and then he ends the TikTok. So I stitched it and I was like, because I remember my aunt who is a nurse telling me about that study years ago when our son was a newborn. And I'm like, okay, so I go on PubMed and I'm like looking at all the studies. It's like a study of a sample of three boys. And so I was like, "Mm, I didn't take that information to heart. And he still has some like natural washes that have some lavender in it or, you know, like I'm not paranoid about it. So I stitched it and I was just saying like, don't scare parents with this kind of like it's clickbait, right? You take this one very small research study, maybe, you know, down the road, we will find out that it does cause some issues if there's like the dosing is really high. And anyways, he like responded to it saying, well, personally, I don't use this stuff. And it's like, that's fine. But when you have the name doctor something on TikTok and you start your TikTok with, do not use this on your young boys, like you're trying to scare parents. And when you actually look at the research, I just found it irresponsible to put that TikTok out there and then not explain the nuances of what that research study is actually saying and what the implications actually are. So what are your thoughts on lavender and tea tree oil? (laughs) So I actually hadn't read the study itself. And the fact that it's three kids is a very, very small population size for that study. Are you able to reproduce the results is one of the questions that we ask about research. And does it apply to your population? So if you have boys, then maybe it could apply to your population. But have we reproduced this? Have we seen this in larger populations? I think it's really important and I've tried to do this on my my platform, is to talk about what research is and the levels of research. And so I'll try to include, I'll be like, this is the study, and include a, a picture of it so people could go find it if they wanted to, and then talk about the study. So this is a retrospective study. So the study is not as good as other types of studies, or this is a smaller population, or this is a good population, and, and it may be applicable more to the to what we're talking about. I do believe as medical professionals that we are considered authority figures and that we should be very careful about the information that we're putting out there. We need to take responsibility for that. And if honestly, if you came at him and said, listen, this is a really small population and I think this might be some fear mongering type stuff, I think you got to own up to it. You know what? It is a small study and it's probably not, you know, able to be reproduced or it's probably not seen in a larger population. But here's another study that shows that. Or, you know what, they haven't reproduced the study. Maybe it's just something to keep an eye on. I tend to be a believer in that moderation is reasonable and probably using some tea tree oil and some lavender is going to be okay. But if you're bathing your child in it twice a day, every day, that might be a little excessive. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. I had to get that off my chest. It's so funny. I'll see a TikTok like, and I'm like, oh, I'm in a mood right now. And so I'm going to stitch this. <laughs> Whereas if it was any other day, I would just like let it go. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay. Kate, let's talk about coughs in children. 
as a parent, when Milo gets a cough, I feel helpless, you know, and it keeps them up all night. And even if they're sleeping, they're still like coughing throughout the night. I can't sleep. It it like raises my cortisol when he has a cough. And I'm always like, why can't I find anything that works? Like everything is holistic. If your child is under a certain age, there's no actual cough medicine that will really alleviate the cough. And then I was telling my mom this and she was like, oh, when you guys were younger, we just gave you like, you know, X, Y, and Z and it was fine. So what was the shift in not being able to give children cough medicine? And do you have any tips for coughs? So the thing to, one of the things to realize about coughs is they're coughing for a reason. Most of the time, you're actually clearing secretions from your upper airways, from your lungs. You're having some post-nasal drip that they're clearing. So there is a reason for coughs. And so we don't always want to suppress coughs. You want them to be able to clear those secretions and not kind of sit down deep in the chest. Kids that are asthmatic obviously are a different category because they cough because of their asthma and you would treat that differently with albuterol and potentially steroids. But kids that just have your typical upper respiratory viral infection and they're coughing, you know, most of the time it's going to be a couple days to a week-ish. The coughs sound really nasty. I'll give it to you. Like you're just, oh, that sounds so terrible. How can that not be something bad? But most of the time it's not. And it's noisy and it's scary, but most of the time it's, it's okay. So we tend not to do too much with coughs. Cough medications, if you go pick up any cough medication from the store, most of the time these have multiple different medications in them. Some of them that are drying agents, so they're going to make the mouth dry. They're going to actually even sometimes change like the bladder. It's going to let the bladder relax. And a lot of these medications we don't want to be giving to small kids because they can have other side effects, make them feel uncomfortable. If they're uncomfortable, they're not drinking and staying hydrated. So in general, cough medications for most younger kids, generally under at least six, have more side effects than they do good. And so generally, we just we don't recommend them. Stay away from them. For kids over one, honey is great. And it's basically just taking a spoonful of honey and eating it. And it's that kind of coating the throat, causing some relief and discomfort, you know, helping with kind of post-nasal drip and stuff like that, too. It loses its efficacy if you do mix it in something. But it's generally just a spoonful of honey is, is more effective when they've done studies. It's actually more effective than cough medications. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. 
Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. And I've heard a debate about humidifiers in the room, whether it's like a warm humidifier, a cold one, like you shouldn't use one. So what are your thoughts on humidifiers? Generally cool mist humidifiers, what you're going to find every pediatrician recommending. It's going to keep the, the mucous membranes nice and moist. They're going to be able to cough up those secretions rather than getting more dried. If they're dry, they're harder to expel. So keeping it nice and moist, keeping your mouth and nose nice and moist so that you can start to feel better. So I, I am a fan of cool mist humidifiers. And what about the baby rub? Like when I'm sick, I lather myself in Vicks. I'm like putting it up my nose. Like <laughs> So what about the baby Vicks? Is it helpful? I'm going to start out to say that regular Vicks has something called camphor in it, and it can be toxic to adults if they're, they ingest one gram, one to two grams of it. So this is actually a medication that you have to be very careful with small children. So please keep your Vicks away from your kids. There are some baby Vicks products that don't have the camphor in it, but I, I feel like for adults, the most effective part of it is the camphor because it's kind of opening things up so that you can breathe a little easier. It's not going to hurt generally, but I don't know how helpful it would be necessarily. Okay, so don't put Vicks up my nose anymore. <laughs> just a tiny, tiny. No, uh, I maybe just on the outside. Okay, okay. I'll I'll see what I can do. I'm not the best. Like it's so funny because my husband's a doctor and I'm just like a mess. Okay, what's the difference between a dry cough and a wet cough? The sound, basically. So you know, a wet cough is generally there's some mucus, some loose mucus that's in that kind of upper airway or even in the lower airways that you're kind of coughing and trying to expel. Uh, and a lot of kids will swallow it down and that is okay. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. People get really freaked out about it. If they spit it out or if they swallow it down, it's fine. A dry cough a lot of times is a tickle or is post-nasal drip and it's kind of in the upper, upper airways and you're not moving the mucus around quite as much with each cough. So that's kind of the difference. It's mostly the sound and basically kind of how thick the mucus is or where the mucus is moving. And do you treat them the same way typically? Yeah, it doesn't really change our management very much either way. Like I said, we coughing most of the time is okay. It's We actually want them to be coughing and moving that mucus around. We don't want that mucus just sitting around. Okay. So if I get anxious because Milo has a cough, <laughs> I need to just take a clonazepam <laughs> and let him cough. <laughs> You know, you're going to do things that keep him comfortable. If he if he has a sore throat or if he's not feeling good, the Tylenol ibuprofen, you know, the cool mist humidifier, give him, is he, is he, he's over one, right? He's three and a half, yeah. Yeah, give him the honey, you know, put him in front of a movie with a beverage and go take a nap. Yeah, this is when my husband gets the monitor 24-7 because I'm like, I cannot. And he's like, he's fine. Coughing is fine. I'm like, no, it's not. But okay, this, it makes me feel better to know that like the coughing is a good thing. So I'll just keep telling myself that. Okay. Fevers. Also lots of back and forth about fevers. And I've had the conversation before with my friend about like, okay, they have a fever. So do you treat it? Do you try and like get rid of the fever? Do you leave it because you don't want to miss if it gets worse? So what is your guidance on fevers. I've actually posted a couple fever videos recently and people get people get heated. People did not I, like I my videos. They 
they got very excited. So fevers are your body's way of fighting an infection. The pathogens that are in our body that are causing the infection, they don't like when our body gets hotter. And so they tend to die and not replicate as much. So our a fever is good in that it helps us recover from the pathogens. Fevers can be somewhat detrimental because when kids are hot, a lot of times they are uncomfortable, so they're not drinking as much. And when they're hot, they're losing more fluids. So you have to separate in your mind like what the temperature is from what the infection is because they are kind of two different things. One's a symptom and one's the cause. My general recommendation with fevers is to treat the child and not the number on the thermometer. So if your child is running around the living room and jumping over things and drinking, let them ride, let them go. When they finally crash out and they look like they don't feel good, then we treat it. I think people get really wrapped up and really anxious. That mom's, a, mom's anxiety related to the number on the thermometer is, is real. And people get really fixed on like the 104 number. And it's not, it's not about the number. It's about what the kid looks like. I think a lot of people get freaked out. It's a 104 fever. Their brain's going to get fried. Their proteins are going to denature. And that is, that's not a thing. That's not a thing with fevers. That hyperpyrexia or a fever that could really cause damage is closer to 108 degrees, which most kids are not going to get to physiologically. And this is, I, like I said in the video, completely separate from a child that's left in a hot car. That physiology is different. And the 104 that was left in a hot car, that's a completely different situation. That is life-threatening. But a 104 fever in a child that is playful and active, you know, you can treat them when they're uncomfortable, but if they're cool, just let them ride. And so is there a timeline? Like if your child has, even if it's like a low grade fever for a couple days or like, I don't know, is there like a timeline where you would be like, oh, okay, this has been going on for a while now. Should we like investigate if something's going on? Yeah, I think for each kid, that's going to be a little bit different. And I think, you know, how they're acting during that illness is going to help determine what you need to do. If you've got a child with a history of urinary tract infections, you may go at 24 hours to the pediatrician and say, hey, we need to check this out because waiting for that could could be detrimental. You know, if your child has a complaint that's a potentially treatable bacterial infection, then you'd probably want to get that checked out sooner. But if they've got a runny nose and a cough, a lot of times you can let that ride for a couple days as long as they're playing, they're eating, they're drinking, their mental status is appropriate. But you always have your pediatrician to fall back on. So if you have any questions, just give them a call and say, hey, Johnny's had a fever for this amount of time and these symptoms. You know, do you think we need to come in? Do we need to go to the emergency room? Can we ride this out for a couple more days? Okay. And why do children get fevers over every little thing? Like a runny nose, you got a fever. You stub your toe, you got a fever. Like, But adults don't. So think of your immune system like a diary. So when kids are born, their diary is completely empty. They don't have anything to fall back on. So every single time they come in contact with a virus, they got to put that virus in their diary. And so they got to ride that ride. They got to have the fever, the runny nose, the cough. And every time they get that infection, a new infection, they get a new entry in the diary. But by the time you're three or four, your diary's getting somewhat full. Your immune system has something to work off of. And so it's it knows what to do when it sees that virus. Again, it's able to treat it. And by the time we're adults, we've got these really full diaries. Our immune system sees something that's like, eh, that's no big deal, I got this. So for an adult to have a fever, like we do have to be more concerned because most of the time if we're having a fever, there might be something going on. So kids, I would say, are, are a different breed than adults, which is why I like kids better, personally. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, their immune system has to see the different viruses to create an immune, res an immune response. And a lot of people get concerned that their child has a bad immune system because they just started daycare and they've been sick two or three times a month for the last six months. And I, I want to say that most for most kids, that's going to be completely normal. Their body has to see those infections to develop an immune system reaction. And then by the time they're in kindergarten, they're like never going to get sick again because they saw everything in daycare already. And so is it true that like Milo started daycare at one year old? That's what it was. It was like sick all the time. And then some people say that if their child stays home with them until they go to school at age four, then that happens to them at age four because now they're being exposed to all these kids. Whereas like if your child went to daycare, they're less likely to be sick all the time in kindergarten. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. And I can actually tell you from personal experience, even like I see it at work and, and from personal experience, my oldest started daycare at like five weeks. I don't even think she was six weeks yet. And actually my first 
my first two kids started daycare really early because I was in medical school and residency. They were sick nonstop for 18 months. And my youngest was in daycare for like five minutes. We pulled her out. She had a nanny. And now she's in, she's four and she's in preschool. And she's had multiple little infections, even with her mask on. Thank God not COVID yet, but it, it happens. And it's okay. Like it's, it's totally fine. Whichever way you want to go, if you want to put them in daycare, if you have to put them in daycare and they get some viral infections, like it's, it's annoying, but it's fine. And they're going to get through it and and they're going to be okay. And this is a pretty normal phenomenon. Yeah, I'm happy. I think Milo's, he'll be four in September. So it's like, I think we're going to be over that hump soon. Knock on wood. I'm shocked. He hasn't been sick in like a couple months, like knock on wood, Renee, don't jinx yourself, my God. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm always just waiting for him to get sick because then I'm the one that has to stay home with him. My husband has to keep working and it's like, it's a whole thing. But anyways, in the ER, what are the most common injuries that you see children come in with? So, you know, we see a lot, a lot of injuries every single day, cuts, bruises, you know, little kids tend to fall and hit the coffee table. So they've got little lacerations on their head. Toddlers tend to fall off things like beds or, you know, whatever. I'd say the probably the most common type of fracture that we see is something called a foosh. I'm using air quotes, foosh. It's a fall on an outstretched arm. And a lot of times it will be kind of toward the hand or what we call a distal forearm fracture, distal radius and ulna fracture. Kids can have these fractures called buckle fractures, which means it's not broken all the way through, which is good. That means we don't have to do any resetting or anything like that. But we see a lot of those forearm type fractures just from, you know, falling forward while they're running or tripping or, you know, sometimes riding a bike. One of the more common ones we see is a monkey bar injury called a supracondylar fracture, which is um, kind of an elbow fracture from falling off the monkey bars. And we see this so, so often. It's pretty crazy. I I made a video about some of these things. So trampoline injuries we see pretty commonly in younger kids from jumping on the trampoline. A lot of times with an older child, get that kind of double bounce and they break their lower leg. Recently, we've been seeing tons of electric scooters and golf cart injuries. Kids don't know the rules of the road and they are not good at driving. So a lot of teenagers driving golf carts and rolling it over and we can see some pretty significant injuries. So, and you, you know, kids aren't wearing helmets in golf carts. Are they allowed to drive golf carts? I mean, kind of. There's no rules about like the, your age or you have to have a license or? Not really. I mean, we see kids that are just, they're riding in parks, they're riding, you know, in their neighborhoods and no one really enforces the rules. Some golf carts are street legal. A lot of them are not, but they're just tooting around the neighborhood kind of thing. Just for people listening, this is how you know that she lives in Florida, because (laughs) I'll tell you right now, there's no kids tooting around the neighborhood on golf carts in Canada (laughs) at all. It is, I would say it is a very Florida thing because there's so many golf courses. People have golf carts for their golf courses. So we do see this. It's a really pretty common injury right now. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. 
Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolavie.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I'm sure in Canada we have a lot of like the ATV when I was working at the children's hospital that was the number one thing for head injuries in the ER was the ATV like the four-wheeler so yeah that's probably more common here yeah you guys have the ATV and snowmobile Injuries that, and again, we saw these all the time in New York, kids riding, kids not know exactly, you know, turning, how fast to go, how slow to go. And trees are big problems when it comes to ATVs and snowmobiles, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. And probably skating here too, like falling on the ice. Is there anything that is very popular that parents buy for their kids? Like, for example, trampolines or the scooters that you don't have in your home because you see the injuries that can happen. Yeah, we've kind of outlawed any like electric scooters, electric bikes, anything, electric skateboards. They can power them themselves. They don't need electric. They need to be out there doing the physical activity. So we've said no electric things just with the dangers and just it's expensive. Like we don't we don't need that kind of stuff. Trampolines, we have absolutely said we're not going to get a big trampoline. And I made a video about it, of course. And immediately after that, my neighbor dropped off a little trampoline, you know, those like little tight ones that you can jump on one at a time. Immediately after I posted that video, my neighbor dropped off one of those little trampolines like, hey, I'm just hand-me-downs. And the kids saw it before I could get rid of it. So it's in our living room right now. But we have rules one at a time. And again, it's in the living room. They're not going crazy bouncing. But, you know, the big trampolines, especially when there's multiple kids on them, are, are pretty dangerous. Yeah, I feel like I see those in every backyard around here. I saw you talk about the gummy vitamins and I was like, oh my God, because we have gummy vitamins for Milo, obviously, because those are usually the most appealing. And you're like, I just want my child to take these. So he's more likely to take a gummy, you know, because it looks like a fruit snack, to be honest. I didn't realize that there was a difference when it comes to the quality of vitamins. So can you speak about gummy vitamins a little bit? So uh, what a gummy vitamin is, is they literally take a fruit snack and spray vitamins on it, and then they throw it into a bottle. So by the time it's getting to Milo, we don't actually know how much of that spray has stayed on. We don't know even how much was in it before it got into the bottle because they're not regulated and what other chemicals are on it. Gummy vitamins, they're also you know, they're gummies. And a lot of times we're not brushing our teeth immediately after. So they're, um, if you go to any pediatric dentist, they're going to say, we hate these. They lead to cavities and stuff like that because they get stuck in the the parts of the teeth. And and that's not good. The other issues that we have with gummy vitamins is kids don't know that they're vitamins. They think they're fruit snacks, which is one of the appeals, but it is also one of the drawbacks because kids, uh, we see frequent overdoses where kids just get into them and eat all of them. uh, And obviously that can be a problem. So My personal preference is to skip the gummy vitamins, skip the teeth problems, the potential for problems, and honestly just not knowing what you're actually getting on a gummy vitamin. I will absolutely say that there's way easier to get a kid to take a gummy vitamin, but we found some vitamins that our kids are willing to take. At least three-fourths of them are willing to take, and so that's what we've chosen for our kids. And is it like a chewable, like a chalky kind of vitamin? It's chewable, but it's honestly, it tastes delicious. It, not delicious enough that the kids are going to go eat the whole bottle, but the kids are willing to take it. Sometimes they even ask for it. It's not super chalky at all. We generally stick with kind of just a multivitamin with iron and then vitamin D, but it has K2 in it to help with absorption. Those are the ones that we kind of do daily. And then we do sometimes vitamin C during flu season. There's only one kid that is a little sensory that I have some issues taking the multivitamin and he'll take the rest of them and everyone else is fine taking them all. I had no idea that that was how they made gummy vitamins. Like it blows my mind. Why can't you just put it in the gummy part? Like the fact that it, and now that you say that it's sprayed on, you can so tell because when you take it out, it's like slimy. Oh my Sometimes God. it's shiny too on the outside. You're like, what is this? Yeah. And they stick on the inside of the bottle. I'm like trying to 
Get it out. Okay. Yeah, I'm totally turned off of the gummies now. Okay, let's <laughs> let's talk about vaccines. So hot topic, hot topic. So the 5 to 11-year-old's vaccine is out now. People are so divided when it comes to the vaccine. So can you talk a little bit about the 5 to 11-year-old vaccine and how is it different from the adult vaccine? Like, are they going to have to get the boosters, all that kind of stuff. So the one that's approved right now for 5 to 11 is Pfizer. The adult dose of Pfizer is 30 micrograms of mRNA, and the 5 to 11 dose is 10 micrograms. The doses are not based on weight. The doses are based on kind of the maturity of the immune system, and we've kind of already talked about that diary. Like, that's the maturity part of it. When they did the trials, they actually, for the 5 to 11-year-old groups, they looked at the different dosages and decided to go with the 10-microgram dose because kids had a really good immune response with that dose, and they had the least amount of side effects, which makes sense. We want to try to avoid the side effects when we can. I think the most concerning one that people talk about is the myocarditis, which is heart inflammation from the vaccine. The kids that get it, it's very generally very mild. Less than 20% need to be in the ICU, and everyone that they've studied has recovered from it. Like when they've done follow-up cardiac MRIs, everyone has had a complete recovery. So that's that's the kind of risk of it is, you know, the myocarditis is the big one. We also talk about anaphylaxis, fever, tenderness at the site, redness. Those are kind of the risks of it. The benefits of getting the vaccine are it does reduce the risk of infection, significantly reduces the risk of hospitalization and death, and reduces the risk of long COVID, which kids absolutely get, and multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. So what we saw in a more recent paper was that when Omicron happened, we saw a decline in the effectiveness for the 5 to 11-year-old group, but we still saw protection against those other things. So I, and I think what that, that paper speaks more to is how freaking contagious Omicron was in that surge, the amount of people that got it, and just how few particles you actually need to get infected with Omicron is, it's crazy. For the science community, like every time there's a new variant, it's like, wow, this is insane. This is so cool. It's also terrible, but so cool. And so I, I know that people are divided. And when it comes to kids, we get very like emotional, like you're, you Instead of making rational decisions, we make it we make decisions on emotions and fear. I, I think it's really important to just kind of try to take that part out of it and look at kind of the facts. What are the risks to my child? You know, are they in school? Who's around? Are people wearing masks? And, you know, if they get it, you know, is there a risk of long COVID MISC? Yes. So what can we do to avoid that? You know, we can stay home and not interact with people. We could get vaccinated. It's very low risk of severe side effects, and it provides a significant amount of protection against these things that we're pretty concerned about. What are the percentages of in the U.S. or in Florida of kids 5 to 11 that have actually got it? Like, are most parents getting their kids vaccinated? I believe it's around or a little bit less than 25 percent. Now, and I don't know about Florida specifically. It's probably a little bit less in Florida, but nationally, it's around 25 percent for the 5 to 11 year olds. That's it? Yeah. Ugh. I feel like when it comes to the vaccine, similar to the lavender and the tea tree oil thing, it's like we focus on one, like anecdotal stories. So like this happened to this one person. And so, of course, that freaks parents out and now they're less likely. But it's like, what's the alternative if you're not, like you were saying, you're going to stay at home, like then... If they do get infected, there's all these other things that could happen. So it's like, you know, I, I feel for parents because it is overwhelming to try and understand everything. Like Milo's three and a half, and I'm always saying I cannot wait until <laughs> they release that vaccine because it's just one less thing to worry about. And he's going to be starting school in September. So where are they at with the, the under five vaccine? So with Pfizer, again, they kind of had to guess with the dosage for the younger kids. And it turns out they guessed a little bit too low. They went with three micrograms. And when they did the trials and looked at the effectiveness, it wasn't as good as the benchmark. And so they said, instead of starting over with a higher dosage, just to save some time, we're going to give a third dose and see if that's effective enough to, to give to the kids. And so we're looking at that data being released some probably in early April. The other big company that is is currently in trials uh, for the 5 to 11-year-olds is Moderna. 
So Moderna's, they went a different route with their mRNA. So they started with 100 micrograms for the adult dose, which is obviously higher than Pfizer's 30. Their booster dose is 50 micrograms, and Pfizer has a normal 30 microgram dose. So for the kids, the 5 to 11-year-olds, they actually went with a 25 microgram dose. So this is likely going to create a stronger immune response in kids 5 to 11, which is hopefully tremendous, you know, hopefully very effective. And they won't have to give another dose and and we'll see what everything looks like side effect wise when that trial comes out. But that should be hopefully end of March or early April. So it's going to be pretty, pretty tight, which who comes first, Moderna or Pfizer? Yeah, it's so interesting how they have different doses for the same thing. In my mind, when I don't understand this stuff, I'm like, okay, 25 is stronger. So why don't we all do 25? You have to think back to like even March of 2020. All these drug companies were given the spike protein sequence and they all independently on their own little separate islands had to come up with a plan. And so Pfizer went with this plan and, you know, this vaccine, you know, Johnson & Johnson's went a different route with the viral vector uh, AstraZeneca went a different direction. Novavax went a different direction. So that's why we've seen such kind of diversity in these vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer being the most common here in the United States right now. But Moderna went with a higher dose and their trials did show that it was effective and it worked and it was safe. And then Pfizer's also showed that it worked and it was safe. So it's it's just one of those things. It's the way that it worked. Uh, and I do find it. I, I agree. It's kind of interesting. Hopefully the 25 microgram dose being a bigger dose will be more effective for kids. Do you think everyone is going to have to get regular boosters of the vaccine, kind of like we get the flu shot? It's a little hard to tell. And I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't know exactly which way things are going to go. But I would anticipate that we will probably need boosters to address the different variants, similar to influenza. So the reason we get a flu shot every year is not necessarily because we need a booster. It's because we're trying to address the specific variant that we're anticipating for this year. I would, I think that's likely the way that it would go is we're anticipating, you know, this variant to be a problem. So we'll give this variant, you know, every winter, you know, this winter and then a different one next winter when that other variant is a problem. Wow. I wonder if they would be able to like put it together with the flu shot so that it's not you're going every week to go get a new vaccine. <laughs> there, That is absolutely part of the discussion right now. But I don't, uh, you know, when it comes to variants and the pandemic itself, I don't think we're quite there. But I do, I do anticipate in the future that we'll see some probably combined vaccines. Where you live, are masks still required for children? Is that I still live in thing? Florida. Oh, yeah. I forgot you're in Florida. I, You know what? It's so funny because I told my husband, I was like, I want to go to Florida and I'm going to take Milo there because my mom was going to like rent a house. And my husband's like, are you sure you want to go there? They have like no regulations. I was like, um, that sounds amazing because Milo won't wear a mask. So I feel like we can't take him to the aquarium. We can't take him like to play places. And it really bothers me. So I'm just waiting for them to lift the mask regulation here, which I think they're almost there. Like, I think within a month or so, they will probably lift it. I guess it's not a thing where you are. Even in school, they don't have to wear masks. No. And it's, you know, we're in Florida. So the mask mandates got taken down last year. Um, Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's special here. Uh, I love it. I love Florida. Uh, It's beautiful. But there's no pandemic here in Florida. We, We have not addressed it at all. So when I go to the grocery store, there'll be a couple other people wearing masks. My kids wear masks, but my four-year-old is the only one in her class that wears a mask. Her teachers don't mask. The principal doesn't mask. You know, we've had to talk to the kids and just, you know, this is the reason that we're wearing them and it's okay. And they don't get picked on or bullied or anything like that because there's enough kids around the school that are wearing them that it's not a problem. But Florida just... Masks are not a thing. Now you can't, I will say for, for the people listening, there is there are absolutely ways to do kind of, I'm doing air quotes again, safe trips to Florida. There are tons of beach houses and you can get food delivery and sit on the beach and enjoy the weather. And you, there's still plenty to do in Florida that you can find absolutely a safe way to do it. But if you come here, like you're not going to see people in masks for the most part. Yeah. That's going to be wild. I even think about shopping. Like if they do lift it 
and I'm shopping, I just, I can't imagine myself not having a mask on. Cause now I've adopted this thing where like, I talk to myself like under my mask, I'm like making weird like gestures, but nobody can see me. And so I'm like, if I don't wear a mask, am I still gonna do this? And I'll feel naked. Like literally I'll feel naked because I'm so used to it now. I feel the exact same way in stores, even at work. I was like, can you, can you remember two years ago? Like when we didn't wear masks into every single room constantly all the time, why were we walking into like a kid with a feverish room without a mask on? Like we, we did that. Why did we do that? Yeah. It's wild to think about. I know. Okay. Last thing before I let you go, enjoy your nice weather while it's like winter here, your flu box. I saw that you have a TikTok that talks about a flu box. So can you explain what that is and what's inside of it? flu box or a sick box. It is a box that I try to keep in a closet somewhere where I know where it is and it's fully stocked because my kids will always get sick at the worst possible time. It will be a holiday weekend. It'll be Friday night at three in the morning and there's no pharmacies open. So it is a box that is stocked. And then every flu season, I make sure all the dates are, are good. And I keep in it things that you would need to just grab really quickly. So I have a thermometer and it doesn't, please don't get the fancy ones, just a regular old thermometer, digital thermometer that gives you a temperature, no forehead scanners. I put some Tylenol and some ibuprofen in it so like when they get the fever, I can just go ahead and treat them. I do some Pedialyte, the powders. So Pedialyte powder is actually really good, like physiologic wise, it's a really good rehydration beverage. And the powders are in just this little box. I honestly feel like it tastes better than like the regular pre-made Pedialyte. So the Pedialyte is great. We also do like saline, like nasal saline. So you can keep like noses rinsed out when they're really stuffy. Keep some Benadryl for allergic reactions, like just in case. And then just like some symptomatic stuff, so like cough drops and honey to address like sore throats and stuff like that. With COVID, we added a pulse ox so that we can check, like if you were to get sick, coughing, short of breath, that we can do one of those little portable pulse oxes toward the beginning of the pandemic. I will say that and when you, you know, if you use a portable pulse ox or if you use a pulse ox at home, especially if you have a darker skin tone, that that pulse ox, it's not guaranteed to be accurate. So if you are having chest pain and shortness of breath, it doesn't matter if the pulse ox says you're 100% oxygen, it, you should probably still get checked. Again, focusing more on the person and not on the number is kind of one of my main messages. People with darker skin tones, pulse oxes tend not to be quite as accurate, especially when the numbers are in the more extremes. So just kind of a, a word out there of caution. Awesome. Okay, this was a jam-packed, full of valuable information. So thank you so much. I feel like all the things we talked about are just things that like, it's like my issues and I'm like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> but I know people listening will have the same questions. So it's perfect. So where can people find you online? And do you have anything coming up in the future? I know you're working on a podcast. Have you decided on a name for it? I have decided on a name. I'm not going to announce it quite yet. I have to lock it in. I feel like I need to lock it in before I officially announce it. But people can find me on TikTok. I'm Beach Gem 10. So beach like normal, G-E-M and the number 10. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Period Beach Gem 10. And I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Period Beach Gem 10. And then, you know, follow along my journey because I will be starting that podcast in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Okay. Awesome. I'll put the links to all those platforms in the episode notes so that people can find you. And yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is great.